This is Eric Krakauer from BN Sports, and you're listening to the Sulefel Podcast. Vem jogado por Simão, a passar por dois adversários, Simão, a tentar oferecer o gol a Figo, e a bola é gol! O gol da Figo! Rui Costa vai, Rui Costa vai, acreditou, vai tirar para o gol, atira o gol! 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 And we welcome you to episode number 19 of the Slesson Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to our latest episode, as in this episode we are previewing the other three participants in the Nations League Final Four, that being the semifinal opponents for the Slesson, Switzerland, and the potential final opponent in England and the Netherlands. We have previews of all three uh, nations so we uh, so we greatly appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, and getting to know your neighbor kind of uh, in a, in a way uh, kind of get to know your opponent and uh, you know get you uh, caught up on uh, on what they uh, can offer um, in the Nations League final four versus uh, the Sles song. Of course, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pod. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter and on Instagram at Pod. and you can always email the show Pod at gmail.com. Remember, you can uh, find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Just search the Slesson Podcast in your search engine in any of your podcast platforms. So um, I want to thank, first off, I want to thank Christian Oliveira one more time uh, from the Benfica Podcast. If you have not heard our Portugal preview uh, yet, um, Go ahead and give that uh, uh, a listen as well, uh, whether you want to do it uh, before or after uh, this episode. But uh, Cristiano Oliveira was uh, nice enough to uh, to preview um, the Portuguese national team uh, with us, uh, the the Slesson twenty three man squad, uh, Fernando Sanch, uh future uh, with the uh, with the Slesson. and uh, also uh, he gave us a little uh, a little background on uh, being a Benfiquista and uh, them winning the thirty seventh. Uh, title in their history, but uh, but without further ado, let me uh, let me set up how this episode is uh, is going to uh, going to go down. Uh, we are first going to preview uh, the uh, the semifinal opponent for the Slesson, uh that coming on June the fifth, the semifinal at Dragão in Port. Uh, the Portuguese national team taking on the Swiss national team. Uh, Craig King, uh, he uh, uh, covers the Swiss national team uh, on Twitter. At football Swiss En, uh, he was kind enough to uh, to give us some time to uh, to give us his thoughts on the Swiss national team uh, and uh, the matchup uh, with uh, the uh, with the Slesson. Uh Following the Swiss preview, we go to the Netherlands uh, with Michael Statham. He covers the uh, the Netherlands uh, on Twitter at football Aranya, um, and we'll uh, we'll get you all the information uh, for him there. 
and of course, we uh, we end with uh, with Russell Osborne, uh, who covers uh, the uh, the Three Lions uh, for the Three Lions podcast. Um, he was nice enough to give us a preview of uh, of England and uh, what he feels are uh, their chances of uh, of becoming uh, the inaugural Final Four winners. So we have all three opponents, potential opponents, covered here on episode 19 of the Slesson Podcast. We thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, let's get it started with our semifinal uh, preview uh, with Craig King of uh, Football Swiss EN. So let's start off our uh, our preview uh, of uh, the uh, the opponents and uh, and possible finals opponents uh, for the uh, Slesson in the final four of the Nations League with our uh, with our semifinal opponent uh, the Swiss and uh, to join us to talk about the Swiss is uh, Craig King he uh, covers the uh, Swiss uh, national team and uh, Swiss soccer um, for, uh, on the Twitter account football Swiss E N that's uh, F O O T B A L L Swiss E N Craig, Danny Pinto here from the Slesson Podcast. Uh, thank you so much uh, for giving us a little bit of your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, Craig, let's let's get started with um, with how Switzerland got in. Um, you guys were you guys were in a must win situation, or the Swiss were in a must win must win situation uh, against uh, against Belgium. Uh, you had a home fixture uh, to see if you can uh, if you can find a way to get in. Uh, to the final four, uh, things started off uh, rather uh, rather almost disast- uh, disastrously as uh, as the uh, as the Swiss team were down two nil, uh, needing not only to uh, beat the beat the Belgians to equal on nine points, but then obviously to get the goal differential on their side. What was it like watching it being down two nil, and then what was it like seeing five unanswered goals by the Swiss uh, to qualify for the final four? It was um, probably one of the crazier games I've watched recently. Um, we went into the game not expecting victory, really. Belgium are one of the best international teams in the world, third place at the World Cup. So many talented players in their team. Um, so there was more hope that they could win the game. Um, but then, as you said, it was a terrible start. I don't think anyone imagined to be 2-0 down after 17 minutes, especially um, with a defensive own goal. Nico Elvedi, who normally... who doesn't always play. Normally Fabian Shaw would be in that position, but he was playing on that night, an own goal, and they were 2-0 down after just 17 minutes. And at that point, you don't believe there's any chance for a comeback, especially against a side that's got that much quality. But then after that, it was it's hard to describe how, how it happened. It doesn't really... You wouldn't have thought the Swiss team was capable of a performance like that. But to turn it around for Harris Seferovic just came into a really good um, came in a good form, scoring a hat, and then Nico already getting a goal at the right end as well. It was just it was an amazing night and probably the best um, performance I've seen from Switzerland. What did that performance against Belgium? Obviously, it qualified Switzerland to the final four. But what kind of you know what kind of boost did that did that victory give? Uh, do you think uh, to this uh, Swiss team uh, leading up to not only uh, Euro twenty twenty qualifying but this final four? I think it was just a really big confidence boost for the whole team, for the fans, for everyone. I think um, after you beat a side like Belgium, especially that emphatically, you believe you can beat anyone after that in a one-off game. Um, Not many people believed that the victory over Belgium would happen, so after that happened, there was belief that Switzerland can maybe even go all the way in the Nations League. It's only two games to win the tournament, so it provides confidence just going into the qualifiers and for this tournament now. 
We're talking with Craig King of uh, Football Swiss EN um, uh, on Twitter there, at Football Swiss EN. He covers the Swiss uh, national team and Swiss soccer here as uh, we are uh, previewing uh, the uh, the Final Four of the Nations League. Uh, Craig, we all are very familiar with, especially you know fans of, uh, of Portugal and, and of the Portuguese League, we're all familiar with uh, Seferovic of uh, playing his uh, his uh, club ball in Benfica. Um, you know, EPL fans know uh, Shakiri and uh, and Shaka playing at Liverpool and, and Arsenal, respectively. Those are the names that uh, kind of jump off the off the page to uh, to general football fans. Um, but who of the twenty three men uh, selected for uh, the final four here? Uh, who were some surprises, and who are some names not named Shakiri Seferovic and Shaka? Should uh, Portuguese fans uh, and general football fans be looking out for? Well, as for the twenty-three squad man squad itself, there wasn't really many big surprises. I think maybe the the biggest absentee was maybe um, Stefan Lichtsteiner, plays for Arsenal. He's got um, one hundred and four caps, I think, and he's been in the Swiss team since two thousand and six, but. He's coming to the end of his um, international career and probably club career too. Um, so it's not a real surprise to see him left out. And Kevin Mbappé is the replacement for him and will be going forward. So he's not too big of a surprise. Elsewhere, there was players um, like Renato Stefan of Wolfsburg. He was in over um, Admir Memedy, who was injured. And um, Joseph Dermich plays instead of Mario Gavranovic. But both of them had... Um, similar seasons, so it could have been either included in the squad. Um, the only other player is um, Noah Okafor, who plays for Basel. He wasn't in the original squad. He was um, a replacement for Brian Bolo. He was injured, so um, Okafor got um, promoted into the squad. He should be a player in the next few seasons that um, comes into the national team more often. He had a good um, debut season with Basel and uh, he's continued to impress. I think he would have been involved in squads later on in the year um, but, and I don't think he will play any part in the Nations League but it's a good experience for him to be in the squad an exciting talent um, other, than that, other than that we have um, Kevin Mbabu as I mentioned he uh, will play where Stefan Lichsteiner plays on at right back um, he's just signed for Wolfsburg after two great seasons at Young Boys two titles played in the Champions League really drives the team forward really exciting player and uh, he'll continue to be a big part of the team. Um, Steven Zuber as well. He was recently relegated with Stuttgart just last week, but he's been scoring a lot recently. He's quite late to the international scene. Only 2017 was when he um, made his debut, but he's uh, scored some important goals in the last um, few games. He scored against Brazil at the World Cup. He scored away to Georgia and at the start of the um, qualifying campaign for the Euros. So he's a very important player too. And uh, finally... You've got Albion Ajeti up front, plays for Basel. He's only had one goal in seven appearances, doesn't always start, but he's a player I really enjoy watching in the Swiss League and feel like he could be important for Switzerland going forward too. We're talking with uh, Craig King. Uh, he covers the uh, the Swiss national team uh, for uh, for Football Swiss EN on Twitter, at Football Swiss EN. We're previewing uh, the semifinal matchup here uh, between the Slesson and the Swiss, and uh, obviously... Um, you know any potential opponent for either Portugal or Switzerland in uh, the Netherlands and England on this uh, special episode of the Slesson podcast. Craig, let me ask you about the familiarity these two nations have uh, with each other. They were in the same uh, World Cup qualifying group 
for 2018. The Swiss winning at home 2-0. Portugal winning the last match uh, of qualifying um, in Portugal 2-0 to win the group on goal differential as both teams finished with nine wins and one loss. Even though the tournament is in Portugal, what kind of an advantage uh, can that be for Switzerland uh, being that they uh, recently played in Portugal and, uh, for a lack of a better term, have played Portugal evenly over the last two matches? I think it certainly helps to know your opponent. Um, I'm not sure it'll provide too much of an advantage. I think um, hopefully Switzerland will learn some lessons from a poor performance in Portugal last time. But since since that fixture, uh, maybe a year or so ago, the teams have changed four of the 11 players that um, played that night for Switzerland aren't in the squad. So that part's changed. You've got the emergence of Portuguese players like Jao Felix and uh, Yogo Jota. Um, and you also have Andre Silva, who scored that night on um, in Lisbon. He um, he's not in the squad or he's not in form, as far as I know. Um, so I'm not sure the the matches in the qualifying will have too much impact. They'll probably be fresh in the mind, but I don't think it'll um, have too much bearing on the result on the night. Do you think any of the of the of the squad that was playing in the 2018 World Cup uh, World Cup qualifying? that have come on the 23-man team for, for the Final Four. Do you think they can obviously give some uh, some pointers, some notes to uh, you know the, the new kids, for the lack of a better term, uh, of, of what it is like to play against Portugal in Portugal in a big-time match? Yeah, that will probably be um, the biggest thing that can come from the previous games. You have players like um, Shikiri and others who have the experience of coming up against Portugal and... Um, will be able to help the younger players because any time you go away from home, but especially somewhere like Portugal, it's always a passionate crowd, but a difficult place to play. So I think a lot of the, the younger players and the, the new players to the team, because there is a lot of new players that have come through over the last year or so, uh, will need that extra help, that um, extra advice against a team like Portugal. But that may be the biggest um, the biggest advantage of playing, playing Portugal before. We're talking with uh, Craig King uh, of uh, Football Swiss EN. Uh, you can follow him on uh, Football Swiss uh, EN on Twitter uh, here uh, as uh, we're, we're previewing the uh, the Final Four of the Nations League. Uh, Craig, uh, fairly or not, uh, the Swiss seem to be the the long shot, the underdogs uh, in this Final Four, um, even though they came out with uh, the most points and the most goals scored uh, in group play of the Final Four uh, winners. Um Tell me why uh, not only should Portugal and the fans be uh, be weary uh, of a matchup against uh, Switzerland, but why should uh, the Netherlands and uh, and the English be weary as well uh, if you guys get to uh, see either of them in the final? Um, I think being underdogs, Switzerland, um, there's very lot of pr- pressure on Switzerland to, to win the tournament or even beat Portugal. I think that's when they play their best football. As you've seen against Belgium, they were 2-0 down. Everybody expected it to be over, came back, won the game. Um, and there's also the added home pressure for Portugal, playing in front of the home crowd, an expectant crowd. And they've not been in great form, a few draws in the last few games. So, And with Switzerland capable matches like versus Belgium and being in good form themselves, they definitely have a chance of um, causing Portugal problems if they turn up. You've also got several players on the team that are coming off really great seasons. Aris Severovic at Benfica. As you know, 23 goals in 29 this season. It's his best season ever. Um, Remo Froyer plays for Atalanta in Italy. 
and um, they've just secured Champions League football this season. Shakiri still to come through the Champions League final. He may um, come into the game and Porto as a Champions League winner, and then several young boys players who won their second successive title this season in Switzerland played Champions League football for the first time. So there's a lot of, a lot of um, good feeling about the squad, and there'll be a lot of belief about the squad too that they could maybe capitalise on any um, of the other nations not taking Switzerland as seriously. But for me, it would be foolish to, to rule Switzerland out. Even as underdogs, they definitely have the potential to cause an upset too. Craig, you mentioned Shakiri in, in your last answer. Uh, is there any concern on your end uh, regarding his availability uh, for the semifinal, um, which is on June 5th, uh, when he is uh, with Liverpool on June the 1st playing in the Champions League final, uh, any concerns on your end for his either availability or his impact uh, on the uh, on the, on the the semifinal uh, for the Nations League? Um, well, I think Shakiri will play regardless of what happens in the final. As long as he stays injury-free, he will be able to... He'll always be in uh, the starting 11. I believe he's very important to the Swiss team. He's always um, played better for Switzerland than he has club football. He's always... Came up big in important matches for Switzerland, and any time he's available, he's always in the squad. He's that important to the team, um, so I've not got really any concerns as long as he manages to stay injury free. I'm not sure he'll play 90 minutes. Probably feature at some point, and hopefully he comes back as a Champions League winner. Um, that can only boost his confidence and bring him into the into the camp in Portugal and a good frame of mind. Um, so as long as he stays injury-free, I expect him to be in the, in the team and be a huge part for Switzerland in the tournament. We're talking with uh, with Craig King, who covers uh, the Swiss uh, national team and Swiss football uh, on Twitter over at, uh, f- at football Swiss EN. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for your time. I, I just had one more question. How does a Scotsman find himself covering the Swiss <laughs> national team? How, how, does, how, does that, uh, how does that happen? Tell me how you got started. Um. <laughs> It's a question I get asked often. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Um, it started in 2011, I would say. Um, I have my main football club that I support. I won't say what side of Glasgow that is, but um, <laughs> I wanted a, a, a second um, team to support. Um, and I, I remember watching Champions League that night and seeing um, Basel were playing, playing some team from Romania. I'm not even sure what team it was. And I've decided then I'll try and follow the results, try and keep track of what they're doing. I had no idea if it was going to be something that I would keep going over time. But uh, the very first game I watched in full was when they played Manchester United away from home at Old Trafford. Champions League, they drew um, 3-3. Manchester United had to come back from, I think it was 3-1 down. And from that point, I watched all the games. And from there, I noticed on Twitter you have... um, Italian football, Portuguese football and English places that um, provide information for these um, different in English and Switzerland didn't really have that so I decided then to create an account and from there I've um, I watched mostly games, watched the national team the women's national team and it's grown from that. I never really expected to get this deep into, into Swiss football but that's just how it goes. Well, we uh, we appreciate you doing so, and and appreciate you uh, coming on uh, this uh, preview episode of the final four of the Nations League here on uh, on episode no, no Thanks, on yeah, episode much. number uh, number uh, nineteen of the Celeste Song podcast. Uh, Craig, can't thank you enough again, guys. Give him a follow 
on Twitter uh, at football Swiss en. Uh, make sure you uh, you give him a follow. Let him know uh, that he uh, did a great job coming on the show and uh, previewing the Swiss. Uh, Craig, uh, best of luck to the Swiss against uh, against the Sless song uh, on June the fifth. Although I kind of maybe don't mean that exactly in how it's intended, but I uh, hope it's a great game. Uh, and if uh, and if you guys uh, do end up uh, beating this Sless song, I hope you guys win the whole thing. So appreciate your time, and we'll talk soon. No, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Our thanks once again for Craig King for giving us a bit of a preview of the Swiss national team and the semifinal uh, against the Sless Song here on episode number 19 of the Sless Song podcast. Remember, give uh, give Craig uh, a uh, follow on Twitter uh, at Football Swiss E-N. That's at Football Swiss E-N. So that is our, uh, that is our preview of, uh, of our semifinal. Uh, now it's time to go to Holland. So, uh, so we've previewed uh, the immediate opponent uh, for the Slesson in the Swiss in the first semifinal of the Nations League. That uh, that match again, June fifth uh, in Port. Uh, we now uh, shift our focus to the second semifinal uh, on June sixth in Guimarães uh, between uh, the Netherlands and England. And uh, we are uh, we are nice enough to be joined uh, by Michael Statham, who will be uh, previewing the uh, the Netherlands for us. Uh, he is of, of Football Aranha uh, on Twitter. Um, you uh, can see uh, much of the things that he's contributed uh, on uh, on Twitter on uh, Copa 90 US, uh, Sirius XMFC, and GFFN. You can follow Michael on Twitter at Eredivisie Mike. That's Eredivisie Mike on Twitter. Uh, Michael, Danny Pinto here uh, in the States. Uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us on this Les Song podcast. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, first off, Michael, what did you think of the uh, the twenty three man roster that uh, Ronald Koeman has uh, has selected uh, for the uh, the upcoming uh, final four in the Nations League? Well, he's gone with a very familiar selection. He's got a lot of the players he's been selecting recently. Um, all the star names are there, including four from the Ajax, a team that got to the Champions League semi final. There's lots to look forward to, lots of exciting players. Um, it's not the perfect squad. There's a few positions where the Netherlands are still looking for that star player to shine through. Um, but yes, apart from a couple of surprise omissions, um, it's pretty standard now and there's a lot of key players in there. And it's really good to see that Wano Koeman's getting a, a really good, solid spine to the team now with the consistency he's had with the selection. Uh, among the, the omissions or the surprises, who, who were some of those for you? Well, uh, there's been a really couple of really good players playing in the German Bundesliga this season. Um, fans of the Premier League will remember Davy Klaassen, um, the former Everton midfielder. He didn't have a great time in England, of course, but everyone saw how great he was for Ajax before that. Um, that's why he signed for Everton. And this season, he's had um, a fantastic campaign with Werder Bremen. Um, for me, I don't think he's um, a fantastic midfielder who's who's dynamic and what have you, but he works really hard and he scores scores plenty of goals and he's added something very different to the Bundesliga this season. Um, I, I do believe he was one of Werder Bremen's players of the season. The other one as well in the Bundesliga was Valt Wechhorst, who scored 17 goals for Wolfsburg, um, but he's been left out, leaving Ronald Koeman with only two um, available strikers in the squad. Memphis Depay, who's been playing in the striker's role um, really well, by the way, for Netherlands, but not an out-and-out striker. And also Luke de Jong, 
who for me is just a pinch hitter who comes off the bench um, towards the end of games for the Netherlands. So Vekhorst was a surprise omission considering what Kuma had available to him and what he has only got left in his squad now as well. We're talking with uh, Michael Statham of uh, Football Oranya. Uh, he is previewing the uh, the Netherlands squad uh, ahead of the Nations League uh, Final Four here on the uh, Slesson podcast. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Uh, Michael, let's talk about the uh, two players on the roster uh, who are um, also being, you know, mentioned uh, players from Ajax who, who were chosen um, uh, for the squad. They had their involvement in the Champions League. There are still two players on the Dutch squad that will have direct involvement um, in uh, in the final. And we were talking about Captain uh, Virgil van Dijk and, uh, and George, uh, Giorgino uh, Wijnaldum. Uh, what concern is there, um, if at all, about them playing the Champions League final five days before the semifinal against England? Yeah, you raise a really good point there. Um, the fact that Wijnaldum and Van Dijk have got this game <laughs> only five days after their huge Champions League final. I imagine that would take precedence for them. And up until after that final, will they start to think about um, Nations League? I would say that it will affect Wijnaldum more than Van Dijk. I think playing at centre-back, um, you're always up for the challenge and Van Dijk's quite a laid-back personality. He's talked about that in the past, about how he's quite um, not too laid-back and he said he had to cut that out of his game in the past. But he's a very confident character. Um, so I don't think that the, that that Champions League final is going to affect him too much. I think Wijnaldum it might a little bit more, but I don't think the Netherlands have got to worry too much. And I'd be tempted to not actually play Wijnaldum against England, give him a rest because Danny van der Beek has been excellent with Ajax this season and that opens up with Wijnaldum not playing a position in the 10 role for van der Beek to play along with Frenkie de Jong and um, Martin de Roon. And I think personally that Koeman should be playing van der Beek instead of Wijnaldum for this sort of for this game and perhaps bring Wijnaldum back for the final when he's a bit fresher if the Netherlands can get that far of course. How has, uh, as, as we turn to the, the beginning of this whole Nations League um, tournament, how, how was the, the Nations League received um, by, by, by the Dutch Federation before group play and then after group play in the semifinals? How is it looked at now? Well, I don't think it was um, frowned upon or laughed at because I know that a few countries before the tournament began were sort of thinking, oh, this is a bit of a waste of our time. Um, but I know that there was also a lot of positivity from lots of countries about how um, it cuts out friendlies, doesn't it? And it's another challenge. Like the Netherlands got to play France and Germany in their group. And that's just a fantastic challenge for the players, for the fans to enjoy. So I think there was a lot of positivity in the Netherlands, at least, when that group was announced, that it was a bit pessimistic. Oh, that's a very challenging group. But the fact that the players now have to stretch themselves against these bigger teams and the four group games that we had... We were fantastic. Um, and there's loads of memories already from the Germany 2, Netherlands 2 match, which the Dutch had to get a draw from to qualify to get to this stage. And it was it was, it was very exciting when that equaliser went in from Van Dijk. Um, so, yeah, I think it's brought uh, plenty of positivity. I don't know about how Portugal have received it, but I know definitely from a Netherlands point of view, it's been very positive indeed, the fact that we've got to enjoy some great games. Yeah, I think from the from the Portuguese point of view, uh, and I think maybe overall, um, I, I I guess there were a lot of people who, you know, didn't know really what to expect from um, the Nations League it being you know the inaugural competition, and you know 
we saw that Ronaldo didn't play for the first four games uh, for for this lesson that you know that obviously was tied to uh, him adjusting to life uh, in in Juventus. But I believe if it was a World Cup or a European competition, uh, he would probably be in there. So I think it was at first it was kind of you know trying to figure out what it is, but obviously when you when you do have um, when you do have a team that makes the semifinals of any tournament, uh, all of a sudden you, your attention turns it into a positive. And obviously I think, you know, from the Portuguese point of view, from the Dutch point of view, from the English or the Swiss, I think all four of these teams want to be the first team to win the, the inaugural nations league and bring a trophy uh, to, uh, uh, to their home country. So, you know, at this point, um, you know, how the perception of the Nations League was at the beginning, I think it's definitely different and I think a very much more positive one now. Yeah, agreed. And I think that all four teams that have got to this stage would love to win a competition of this size. Portugal, of course, winning the Euros not too long ago. Um, but Switzerland, when was the last time they won a competition? Same goes for England and the Netherlands. I think this is a great opportunity, but not just to win a trophy but also because of the qualification for the next Euros. For the Netherlands, that's huge. Um, another opportunity to qualify for the competition if they can't do it through the group stages, through normal qualifying route. I think that's another great positive of this competition. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with uh, with Michael Statham, uh, Football Aranya, right here on uh, episode number 19 of the Slesson podcast. Uh, Michael, uh, let's let's head back a little bit to... The World Cup of 2014, uh, the Netherlands finishing uh, in third place. Um, they're, uh, you know, probably the end of uh, the the Dutch golden generation. Um, 2016 in the Euros, 2018 in the World Cup. Uh, the Netherlands does not qualify. Um, take me back a little bit through those, you know, four or five years to where we are now. You know, how bad was it uh, missing out on those competitions, and and where do you think they are now? Uh, must I relive those memories? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, well, after the World Cup in 2014, it was a massive high for Dutch football. The league was at a good position too. Um, lots of exciting players coming through. And it just, yeah, it all just suddenly dried up. Um, and Danny Blint was, became manager of the Netherlands. And that didn't go very well at all. If I can pinpoint it upon one moment, I would say it's the, it was a 2018 World Cup qualifier that was in 2017, that's when it became at its lowest. So, of course, it, it was difficult to qualify for 2016, but the 2018 World Cup was a bitter blow. Um, the Netherlands travelled to Bulgaria. Um, they needed to win, but they lost 2-0. And I have to say, I think it's the worst I've ever seen the Netherlands play. I've been watching them for a long time. It was insipid. It was dreadful. There was no tactics. It was uh, when, we, when the Netherlands went 2-0 down, um, and after half time, we thought it's a fight back going to be on. No, it was dreadful football again. And even the likes of Iron Robin couldn't pull it out of the bag. Um, there was no one to pin the hopes on to draw, draw them back into the game. And the, it all turned upon Danny Blint, media, fans after that game, not just because of the way that his team played, but also because he started one very young Matthijs de Ligt in defence. Brave enough to give him his international debut that day, but it was him, his fault, unfortunately, that led to definitely at least one of Bulgaria's goals. Um, He was turned too quickly and the Bulgaria striker, Delev, could score. Um, 
it was a poor decision. There was no way that Delic should have been starting that game at his age. The fact that he'd only played, I think it was, he hadn't even played 10 games for Ajax at that point. And yes, he's a star of the future, as we can see now. Absolutely. It was the clearest day that he had potential, but he was not ready for international football in that match. It was so key that the Netherlands won that match. And it was hardly San Marino. It was Bulgaria away, a tricky team. And yeah, I think that the, the tactics were wrong. Um, the players had their heads down. There was no confidence. Supporters had no confidence. But also, you could see that De Ligt was starting to come through, but actually there were no players in that sort of 20-21-year-old region at the time that were giving much um, potential for the future. I, I, don't, I think that was quite a dry generation, that those few years of struggle they had after that World Cup. Um, and it was a culmination of things that led to the Netherlands playing poorly, I guess. But also, yeah, I think it was poor management as well from Blint and having Ronald Koeman come in was where it all changed, I think. And how much, how much credit does Ronald Koeman deserve in, in, in this, in this turnaround with this, uh, with this now, uh, younger, stronger, faster, uh, roster that, you know, is bringing Dutch football back onto the world stage. For me, quite a lot. Um, because he took the plays he had and seemed to change sport. Not really. It was, instant I suppose but there was a lot of there was a lot more efforts already from the players he had his first game was a 1-0 defeat to England and you could see that there was still not a lot of um, attacking quality on display um, but already he came in and he took the players he had and said what's the best that I can do with this squad and that that was really evident to me the fact that he come in and suddenly there was seemed to be someone who knew what he was doing. He decides to play a 5-3-2. So he knew that there was a lot of good defenders in his squad. So he decides to play five at the back. And it worked because he used the wing backs to attack. Um, and it was already a lot more solid than what we were used to. And it was also very undutch to go with 5-3-2 as opposed to the usual 4-3-3. And after um, a few teething results, he eventually started to get some wins. And after that, he then began to once again play a 4-3-3. Yes, he was lucky because he had the likes of Frankie de Jong come through, which changed the outlook on the squad. It added some fresh blood in there. Um, Denzel Dumfries as well at the right back, let's not forget. Um, and also Matthijs de Ligt at centre-back. So a lot of good young players then started to come through and change the outlook on the team. He also revitalised Memphis Depay as a striker. I think that a lot of that goes down to Ronald Koeman. Um, and his backroom team because of the way he changed Memphis to Pike in from a winger who was inconsistent now into a reliable striker, a target man almost, but also someone who's pacing and skillful who can bring others into play. I think a lot of that comes down to Ronald Koeman. Where, where in terms of the turnaround, um, like I guess what stage, I guess, is, is do you think this, uh, this Dutch team is at and how much better do you think uh, it can get? I have a feeling that it's plateaued slightly um, since the Netherlands beat France um, 3-0 in the Nations League. France weren't at their best that day, of course. But it was exciting play. It was exhilarating. It was quick. And I feel like since then, a few more teams have been a bit more wise to it, um, especially with someone such as Frankie de Jong. I think a lot more people know his game now after his Champions League exploits. Um, and I just think now it's up to the Ronald Koeman again to change things again and 
try something different because it's not as if everyone's found and everyone's out. But I think now that everyone is aware again of how strong the Dutch are, and I, I, I wonder whether this is, well, it's not clearly not the peak because they haven't yet achieved anything. But I think the team that we're seeing now is one that is playing a lot close to its potential than it was before. But let's not forget as well, we've got some young players in there that are yet to fully develop. You've got to literally only 19 playing with Van Dijk. And I strongly believe that they can become the best um, centre-back partnership in the world. We're talking with uh, with Michael Statham of uh, Football Aranya right here on episode number 19 of this List on podcast as we preview uh, all three uh, all three nations that uh, could be Portugal's opponents. Obviously, the Swiss uh, upcoming in the semifinal and then a, poten- a potential uh, matchup against uh, either the Dutch or the English. Uh, Michael, what are the what are the expectations from uh, or what have you heard in, in terms of from the fans, the media as as to the chances of the Netherlands um, possibly winning the inaugural uh, Nations League trophy? There's been little talk of it. But I think that's quite a Dutch perspective to have on things, to be quite cool. Keep it keep it low. There's been no talk of what will happen if they win. There's been um, no excitement almost to get past that England match. It's all focused on the England match at the moment. Um, but I think the Dutch can be quite confident of doing well here and certainly getting to the final. Very, very tricky game against England, but a lot, they've also got a lot of players who um, won't be at their best, won't be 100%. Um, and that's why that's why I think the Dutch have a chance. But yeah, I don't think the media and the supporters are getting ahead of themselves as the Dutch typically do. Well, well, then let's let's get ahead of ourselves, and let's mm. and let's say that uh, that both uh, both Portugal and uh, and the Netherlands make it to the final on June the 9th and uh, in in Port. Um, what is it? What is it that Portugal? Um, what kind of what kind of issues do you see Portugal giving the Netherlands? and vice versa? Well, first of all, if Cristiano Ronaldo is to play, I think you're looking at Matthijs de Ligt trying to repeat his performance against Ronaldo that he's done twice already, sort of three times, I suppose. Hey, take it easy. No, take it easy, Michael. Take it easy. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> we, we, can all, we can all remember what happened when the Dutch beat Portugal 3-0 and Matthijs de Ligt absolutely bossed Ronaldo in attack. Um, it's fighting talk from it here, and and it's something that you can always come back to if it doesn't go well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but Ronaldo was straight that night. Um, but around that, I think you've got to look at Jao Felix. I hope he's pronounced his name right. I can do Dutch pronunciation, but Portuguese perhaps not so much. Yeah, um, no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's also someone that who's a bit of an unknown quantity. I imagine. I'm, I, ho- I hope he's been scouted by Kim and his team. But I wonder who's going to um, can't try and keep a close eye on him. I don't think it'll be the centre-back's job. I think it's going to be up to Martin Zalone, the Atlanta um, central defence midfielder. I think he's going to try and keep an eye on him. But yeah, there's there's plenty of players around the pitch of Portugal. But the two main threats, I would imagine, would be Ronaldo and, and Felix just behind him. Well, Michael, I really, uh, really appreciate your time uh, coming on uh, on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, I know that uh, during this time right now, as we're heading to the uh, the semifinals and and final of this final four of the Nations League, uh, I know your time is uh, is uh, is very, very busy and uh, very, very valuable to you. So, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Remember to uh, follow Michael uh, on Twitter 
uh, Eredivisie Mike. Mike, did I, uh, Michael, did I say that correct? Eredivisie? Absolutely, yeah. Look, at, look at me. I'm ready, to, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to go to Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> uh, Eredivisie Mike on Twitter. Uh, he, he covers the, uh, the Dutch national team for uh, Football Aranha. You can follow uh, that account as well as at Football, O-R-A-N-J-E underscore. Uh, Michael, it's a real treat uh, to be able to talk to you, and uh, the best of luck to you guys against England. And of course, uh, may you uh, may you guys lose to us in the final. <laughs> Let's hope we have a great final to look forward to. Anyway, because um, yeah, I I think we've it'll be great for that first team who lifts that trophy to really enjoy winning the first ever Nations League. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you for your time, and uh, and uh, hopefully we uh, we can talk soon. Thank you. And our thanks once again to Michael Statham of uh, Football uh, Oranya uh, for, for joining us and previewing the uh, the Dutch uh, team as they take on uh, England on June the 6th in Guimarães. And to preview the English side of things is Russell Osborne of the Three Lions podcast. You can follow Russell on Twitter at Russell underscore Osborne. And you can follow the Three Lions podcast at uh, Three Lions podcast on Twitter. That's the number three Lions podcast. Uh, Russell, thank you so much for uh, joining us on uh, episode 19 of the Slesson podcast and this preview of the Nations League. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, Danny. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Much appreciated. The uh, The pleasure is all mine. Again, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, let's let's get right to it and uh, and let's talk about the 23-man roster that Garrett Southgate has uh, ha- announced on, uh, on Monday. Uh, the 23-man roster for the uh, Nations League uh, Final Four. Uh, were there any surprises, and how uh, do you think the Champions League Final uh, shaped his decisions for the 23-man roster? Uh, do you know, the, there's no real surprises, I guess, but um, Kieran Trippier has been left out, along with Harry Winks, James Ward-Prowse uh, and Nathan Redmond from uh, James Ward-Prowse, Nathan Redmond, both from Southampton, Trippier and Winks from Spurs. A uh, little surprised about Trippier when you consider the World Cup he had last year, but it, it's about what he's doing now, isn't it? And I've read various Spurs threads saying he's... His form's just dipped, really, and it's all about what's happening now. Um, so Gareth Southgate has to make these harsh decisions, you had seen. But, but yeah, that's probably the one surprise. Regarding the Champions League, well, as we're speaking at the moment, it's not happened yet, so it's going to be sort of a, a, uh, a wait-and-see scenario. But also worth considering Ross Barkley. He's going to be in Baku uh, for the Europa League final, which is a five-and-a-half-hour flight four yeah, hours right. time difference um, he kind of been forgotten uh, albeit yeah he's, he's going to have a couple of days extra uh, but there's still a lot of travelling for him to do um, and I guess looking back on the most recent squad for the Euro 2020 games against Czech Republic and Montenegro Ruben Loftus-Cheek Luke Shaw James Tawoski were, were in that but not this time uh, but what I have noticed that Gareth does have his favourites and those that he feels he can those that he feels that he can rely on Fabian Delft being one of those and he's coming for a bit of fair bit of criticism only played 32 times this season three of those have been for England and only five of those have been since January 2019 um, so but he, he seems to be one of those players that Gareth trusts 
but if you look at the very first team, something else I did notice when uh, Gareth picked his first home game at home to Malta three years ago, 2016, Walker, Stones, Ali, Henderson, Lingard all played. Rashford and Rose came on. Dyer, Keane and Heaton were all unused squad members. Kane was injured back then. Um, and Oxley chamberlain played, but he's obviously injured now. It's almost like he's got his sort of a, a set 11 in his mind. Um, but I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine we'll start with Pickford in goal. Back four of Walker, Maguire, Keane, Rose, Declan Rice in front of them. Jordan Henderson, Deli Alley, and I think a, a strong front three of, of Sancho, Sterling and Harry Kane up front, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about. We are uh, we're talking with Russell Osborne of the Three Lions podcast, uh, previewing uh, England's uh, road to the Final Four as uh, they will be taking on the Netherlands. Russell, you mentioned uh, Harry Kane. Obviously, he is the big question mark. Uh, heading into the final four, obviously a big question mark for Spurs fans as uh, they head to uh, the final on June the first. How closely has um, has Gareth Bale been monitoring the training he's been doing at Spurs? And to go a little bit with the Champions League final and Ross Barkley as well, how has Gareth uh, kind of addressed having now eight players in European competition? So close to uh, so close to the semi-final. We'll just pull you up on one thing there. You mentioned Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale's Welsh. But, uh, did well, I sure say Gareth, Gareth Bale? Southgate. I meant Gareth Southgate. I'm sure, <laughs> and you know what? I'm sure I'll say Gareth uh, Gareth Barry at some point too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, do you know, I'm, I'm not privy to that sort of information as you could uh, expect as to to what. Um, how the monitoring of, of Harry Kane has been. And as you say, what a, what a huge question mark. I mean, he potentially he could come on uh, or start the Champions League final. And if that ankle goes, um, then, I mean, he's, he's, it's just going to be chaotic. Um, but with regards to being monitored, um, I'd hope he's being monitored a lot and and being the England captain I'd like to think it's it's a two-way thing as well he's he's relaying to the the medical team he's relaying to um, Gareth Southgate what's going on Um, and as I say it's not the first time that Harry Kane has suffered with this ankle so it's it's not a new scenario for England I guess they kind of know what's what's going on Uh, but as to having that many players away Gareth has been on record as saying his preparations have been made a little more complicated, but it's a challenge we have to deal with as a group of staff. Um, and I'm sure he'd, he'd love to have more, all of them more time together, but it is unfortunately just the, uh, the nature of the beast. But personally, I can see a situation where, where the winning team are going to have their open-top bus parade, as, as we do here in England. Uh, meaning the players will have to fly back for that, be engaged in various sort of appointments, media appointments, um, and then fly back out to Portugal. So there's going to be a lot of to and fro in which, I mean, anyone who's, who's flying backwards and forwards is going to eventually catch up with them. But likewise, the losing side, will the, will the losing players in the squad, will they head home or will they just head straight to Portugal? Uh, it's, a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of an unknown situation that that no one's ever really experienced before. We're, uh, we're talking with, uh, with Russell Osborne of the uh, Three Lions podcast here on uh, episode number 19 of the Slesson podcast. Uh, Russell, let's, let's turn our attention now to, uh, to the Nations League and, 
And first question is, do you think that England is the favorite to win uh, the inaugural Nations League? And how does the the FA, the uh, the players, the media view winning the Nations League? What kind of cachet would it bring uh, to uh, to Gareth Southgate's uh, team as England is looking for their first uh, you know international trophy since 1966? Wow, you know, heart says of course we're going to uh, of course we're going to win it, but head says it's it's going to be a tough one. If I mean success in the past. As you say, it goes back to 1966, but you can go back to 1990 when we got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. The the following tournament for that was the the European Championships of 1992, um, and we we bombed out of that. Um, so it's it's really hard to call. Um, but if you look at the odds, um, Portugal. I've obviously got home advantage. Uh, apparently, two to one at the moment. England, we're second at nine to four. Holland, three to one. Switzerland, eight to one. But there, there is a trophy at stake, and and you ask any player, they're going to want to try and lift it and and get an accompanying medal to go with it. And so, yeah, I, I hope we can win it. Obviously, um, but it, it's going to be harder than that. I mean, the press they would go to town on a trophy. They would. They would absolutely love it as much as we would, and Southgate would be held in in such high esteem. I mean, he's he's already held very high anyway because he's taken the team. As I mentioned, the the World Cup semi final in nineteen ninety took one um, twenty eight years later, and he could lift a serious trophy, as you say, for the first time since since sixty six. And and to be the inaugural winners of it, well, it it'd be. It'd be absolutely great, and and so far the the Nations League seems to be one of UEFA's better ideas. Um, and let's not forget as well, it is it is a gateway to to Euro twenty twenty qualification. So there is there is a lot of stake. Uh, it's not just a trophy, um, but it's it's going to be hard. You know, uh, you men- we've mentioned Gareth Southgate, um, and I've mentioned Gareth Bale, and I've mentioned Gareth Barry. But it, let's turn our attention to Gareth Southgate for a minute. After Roy Hodgson was was dismissed, and the and I'll let you categorize the sixty some odd days of Sam Allardyce the best way you can. Um, but what has how has he been received since he's been appointed uh, the English senior manager? Well, let's let's just touch on Sam Allardyce. Um, <laughs> it was all a bit of a shambles, wasn't it? But he came out of it with a uh, with a hundred percent record, and that that will go down in the record books. <laughs> I mean, what what can he say? Um, I mean, initially when when Gareth was appointed, it, it was a bit mixed. Um, obviously, it came um, as you say shortly after Allardyce, but there was still the the air of Hodgson in the air and, and the way we fell out of, of Euro 26 at the hands of Iceland which was which is still memories that um, that keep coming back to me or nightmares of, of that day in Nice um, but yeah Gareth people thought he was sort of an FA yes man um, he'd obviously been through the FA's process up at St George's Park he'd been the under 21 manager so he knows a lot of the players um, but then you look further in he's got tournament experience of course we all know his um, his highs and lows and of course the low in Euro 96 missing the uh, missing the penalty but he's been 
an approachable guy for for everyone, for the media and the fans too. And I, and I can say that um, in full honesty because I've been fortunate enough to meet and interview him. He's, he's a genuine guy. Um, and I, I guess the, the sort that will give a, a player the, the arm around the shoulder if they need it. But at the same time, I'm sure he could throw a teacup if, if need need be. <laughs> um, and and the height of his of his fame last year in the World Cup, I mean, supporters singing songs about him and and sort of after some of the games in Russia last year, he would come back out onto the pitch and and orchestrate the supporters waving his arms about. So after a bit of a uh, and a sort of a a start where people were a bit unsure he's he's turned it round and 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 everyone loves him really i do anyway we're talking with uh, russell osborne of the three lions podcast here on episode number 19 of the slash song podcast we are uh, previewing the uh, opponents and potential opponents for the slash song as we ramp up to the final four of the nations league um russell uh after the semi-final run in russia last uh, last year uh for the three lions what are the expectations of the FA for this national team over the next few tournaments? Do you know, I, I look back on this one because there was something in my mind that said a little while back we'd, we'd given a um, an expectation level of what we wanted to achieve. And I think it was around 2013 time, the then FA chairman, Greg Dyke, set a goal of winning the World Cup in Qatar uh, in in 2022. Um, But we've since had a new FA chairman, Greg Clark, came in uh, and he's kind of sort of squashed that, softened it and and sort of said, no, let's let's just sort of carry on going as, as we are. Let's not set sights too high um, but I think secretly if this tournament does go well then ambitions are going to be raised especially with Wembley hosting the semi-final and the final of Euro 2020 we we, or, or England we, we're going to want to be a part of that we, we don't want to see that go by so expectations are a little bit sort of in the air at the moment and I think new, new goals will, and targets will come out shortly afterwards I think Finally, Russell, uh, before we let you go, and, and we greatly appreciate uh, your time, again, follow Russell on Twitter, uh, at Russell underscore Osborne, and uh, follow his podcast, the Three Lions Podcast, at Three Lions Podcast. That's the number three Lions Podcast. In a potential final matchup on June the 9th in Port, um, there's obviously a lot of history between England and Portugal in major competitions. What does this English team uh, do that can pose a, a problem to Portugal and what do you see uh, Portugal uh, being able to do that could cause a problem uh, for for the English in uh, what we hope is a, uh, a great final? Well, yeah, firstly, let's hope that that could be the final. I mean, on the flip side, it, it may even be England-Switzerland, uh, but I'm sure you, you'd obviously not want to uh, to think that. I'll respect. I'll respectfully disagree on on, on that on that one, Russell. <laughs> I mean, eight to one Switzerland. Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to agree with you as well. But um, yeah, I mean, um, you posed the question, and I kind of delve back into the past. If you don't mind me, just sort of mentioning, I've. 
you may be aware that we've met 23 times in the past and, and some of those games have come in sort of some big tournaments. We mentioned 1966 and that was pretty much the last time England as a nation beat Portugal and that was in the semi-final, a game mm-hmm. that featured Eusebio. But then there was 86 World Cup, Portugal had the upper hand, Euro 2000, uh, a group game, Portugal come from two down to win 3-2, Euro 2004 uh, in Lisbon, beautiful Lisbon, quarterfinals, locked at 2-2 after extra time, Portugal win on penalties, and you may remember Sol Campbell thought he'd won that in the last minute. Yes. Um, Ronaldo. Back in 2004, was a penalty scorer then. Two years later in the World Cup, we meet again, nil-nil. Um, penalties, <laughs> again. Portugal win, again. Um, but I, get, I mean, that game probably more remembered by Ronaldo's wink. Uh, you may remember that one. But I, the, uh... I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not aware of a wink. Maybe a little dust in the eye from uh, from maybe some dirt in the field. Maybe that was it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was. But, I, mean, again, <laughs> I mean, again, Ronaldo was a penalty scorer too that day. So, I mean, it just goes to show how long that guy's been been around at the top of his game. Um, and if if this is the final matchup, then then I think it's going to be an interesting game. I'd like to think that we'll... Uh, We'll get our own bag, but it's going to be a packed stadium, a lot of home interest. There's going to be a lot of England fans making the journey, as we do like to show our presence. Obviously, Ronaldo mentioned him. He's going to want to have a say in things. It's, it's a trophy he hasn't won before. Um, Messi won't ever win this one. He's going to want to win this one, isn't he? Absolutely. Um, sure, he uh, sure he won Serie A this year, but he missed out on the Champions League, which was Juve's priority. I mean, there's a player that that I've heard of more recently has come to the, to my awareness, Jal Felix, mm-hmm. um, being touted as a future star. Apparently Manchester United are, are pursuing him. And, of course, there's the Wolves connection here. Four players in the squad who ply their trade in the Premier League. Could that have an impact? I don't know. Uh, but overall... I'd like to think we've got enough in the tank to put those uh, put those past disappointments aside and, and maybe win this one. But it may just all come down to whether Harry Kane is fit or not. And it's clear that you guys do not want this to go to uh, to penalties. Is that correct? Oh, you're obviously fully aware of our, our penalty exploits <laughs> I, over the I years. Couldn't, I couldn't resist, Russell. You know, <laughs> you're, you're nice enough to join me, and I and I put that dagger in right at the end. You must think I'm a horrible person now. Not at all. <laughs> well, Russell, I can't thank you enough for uh, for joining us and uh, and making some time uh, for this uh, for this uh, episode previewing uh, the uh, the the opponents and potential opponents of uh, of Portugal in the final four of the nation's league. Again, guys, make sure you're following Russell on Twitter, Russell underscore Osborne uh, on Twitter and his podcast, uh, the three lions podcast. That's uh, at three lions podcast. Uh, Russell, again, can't thank you enough and uh, good luck to, uh, to England uh, in the, in the final four. And uh, let's hope we, uh, we get that England uh, Portugal final that uh, I think the world would be, uh, be waiting to see with, uh, with a lot of excitement been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, and, and yeah, enjoy the Nations League. And a big thank you once again to Russell Osborne uh, from the Three Lions podcast. You can follow Russell on Twitter uh, at Russell underscore Osborne and follow the Three Lions podcast uh, at Three Lions podcast. That's uh, the number three Lions podcast. So that is a preview of all three teams, all three nations 
uh, that could be uh, and are potential opponents uh, for this last song. Obviously, the Swiss in the semifinal, a potential uh, matchup between the Netherlands uh, or uh, the English in the final. I don't want to talk about a third place game. I really don't, but you know, it is the reality. But uh, we're going uh, we're going super positive here uh, and uh, and hoping for a, a Portuguese uh, place in the final on June the 9th in Port and hopefully taking uh, a, another uh, trophy uh, back to Portugal and actually keeping it in Portugal in this in this case and uh, and putting a, another trophy in the trophy case. So again, I'd like to thank all three of my guests uh, for uh, their previews of the other three participants in the Nations League Final Four. Craig King, Michael Statham, and Russell Osborne. You can follow, again, Craig King. Uh, he covers uh, the Swiss national team and Swiss football on Twitter. Give him a follow at FootballSwissEN. You can give uh, Michael Statham, who uh, covers uh, the Dutch uh, national team and Dutch football. Uh, you can give him a follow uh, at Eredivisie Mike. That's at Eredivisie Mike. And you can uh, follow his uh, his account as well at Football Aranha. That's uh, F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L-O-R-A-N-J-E underscore. And, uh, of course, you can follow Russell Osborne of the Three Lions podcast. The Three Lions podcast is at Three Lions. That's the number three uh, Lions podcast. And uh, give uh, Russell a follow as well, at Russell underscore Osborne. So my thanks to all three of those gentlemen uh, for uh, their contributions uh, to this uh, latest episode, episode number 19 of the Slesson podcast. Uh, As for me, uh, it's prediction time, and uh, I feel uh, that... A second trophy is is coming. Uh, I think, uh, however you want to measure this na- this Nations League trophy, um, it will go down as a uh, UEFA trophy. Um, it'll be the second trophy, major tournament trophy that Portugal uh, would bring home. And um, whatever this prestige, the prestige that it may be lacking now, uh, maybe this thing is huge in, in the next uh, 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, being the first team to win it, would be really something special, and for me, uh, getting uh, getting Ronaldo personally another another championship, uh, international championship on his mantle, along with guys like uh, like Pep as well, uh, it would be great to to not send them off because I think both of them still have much to contribute to this last song. But let's face it, times are are dwindling here as 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 both of those gentlemen are are approaching or are in their mid thirties, but. Uh, I really feel that uh, Portugal can take care of uh, of Switzerland uh, in the semifinal, uh, and I'm I'm predicting a a Portugal England final. Uh, we know the history of both of those uh, nations in uh, in uh, in competition, and it's favored uh, the Portuguese. Uh, it's favored the Slesson, uh lately. So uh, let's let's keep that uh, let's keep that going and bring home a Nations League trophy. So uh, this has been our preview of uh, the uh, the Swiss. The Netherlands and uh, the English national teams, uh, as we preview the final four. If again, if you have not heard our Portugal preview, uh, give uh, episode eighteen a listen. That was our Portugal preview uh, with uh, Cristiano Oliveira uh, of the Benfica podcast. We reviewed the uh, the twenty three man roster for uh, for the the Slesson, and we talked about Fernand Sanch's uh, future uh, at the helm of the Slesson. So we've got you covered here on the Slesson podcast for the final four of the Nations League. Uh, so glad you guys were able to uh, give this one a listen and, uh, and get, uh, get you prepared for what we hope is a, a, great, uh, a great week in, uh, in Portugal. And I hope that we're all celebrating uh, on June the 9th with uh, the inaugural 
uh, Nations League trophy. So uh, my thanks to everyone who's uh, tuned in. My thanks once again to our guests, Craig King, Michael Statham, and Russell Osborne. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. And... Portugal!